All right, welcome all. Real-time experience podcast with your host, Jose Medina. Special guest today is Captain Patrick DeCarhall, retired Hudson County Prosecutor's Office. Let me just run down a quick synopsis of this amazing man. We'll call you amazing, Pat. <laughs> Thanks. 1991-95, uh, correction officer, Middlesex County Department of Corrections. That's where I met you. We met. That was great. Great times, man. Yes, sir. <laughs> Uh, then uh, moved on to police officer, Baltimore City Police Department, Baltimore, uh, 95, 97, and then became a detective with Baltimore County Police Department, 97, 2000. Uh, then you moved on to back to Jersey, right? Rutgers police officer. Remember those days, football games, good old times, car stops, uh, 2000, 2003, became detective sergeant for Rutgers. A couple of years later, then moved on to Detective uh, Hudson County Prosecutor's Office, Jersey City. Moved up in rank of sergeant. Same thing, Hudson County Prosecutor's Office. Then became lieutenant. My God, you moved the rank quick, dude. It's amazing. And then um, you served as a commanding officer of the Gang and Violent Crimes Unit. I just wanted to highlight that amongst all the other stuff you did. Also oversaw daily operations of the unit, which included tactical planning, supervising arrests, resulting from large-scale investigations. Outstanding. And then moved on, got promoted to Capitone. Yeah, Captain Morgan. Uh, Hudson County Captain of Detectives, Executive Manager of Major Case Unit, which is comprised of the Homicide Unit, Regional Arson Task Force, Crime Scene Unit, Regional Fatal Crash Unit, and the Gang and Violent Crimes Unit, amongst many other things. Um, great skills, uh, great, great pedigree. Um, so all your, your training and background certifications, I, I went through a bunch of times. I'm mean, look at this guy. Unbelievable. All you're missing is, uh, what are you missing? A producer, motion picture producer. That's all you need. Ooh, street Spanish for law enforcement. My man. All right. <laughs> I got you. I don't need it. <laughs> That's right. Hey, bring me on. <laughs> all right. Welcome aboard, sir. Welcome. How you doing? It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Jose. Uh, great, man. How does it feel to be retired? Uh, it feels great. It's definitely an adjustment, um, you know, but it's it's great. You know, you get to do other things. I'm still involved in law enforcement. Um, just hung my shingle as a private investigator, and I'm doing some contracting for the U.S. Attorney's Office in reference to violent crimes and strategic enforcement. Um, so I'm still involved, which is, which is great because I think um, – Sometimes it's tough when guys go cold turkey and just retire. Right, right. And uh, uh, give me a plug. Give a quick plug. What's the name of your company? Um, PD Life Consulting. Okay. Um, we should be, we're up and running in like the behind scenes uh, right now, but we should be full with the website and all the media going probably within the next month. Awesome. Looking forward to that, man. And uh, when did you de uh, decide to retire? Um, you know, a lot of guys jumped out because of the changes in law enforcement, um, the different policing, you know, under, under a microscope stuff that really wasn't, wasn't the reason why, um, you know, I'd done it for, I was coming up on 30 years. Um, I felt that I had done everything that I could do, you know, still working for an agency, um, and, and it was just time to transition to something for myself. You know, it, yeah. it was, you know, I went, I went through it for probably about six months 
with my wife. And then, you know, just once I think you hit send on the retirement button, yeah. it becomes, it becomes real. And then you start your planning. Everybody knows as soon as that button gets hit, <laughs> the world around you, hey, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right, cool, yeah, man. I think I had a panic did, attack after that. Did you have what other officers like myself had? Like I, I have family members and cousins and brothers and fathers and father-in-laws, I should say that uh, were in law enforcement and, you know, and then teaching cops all over the place. It's like, you'll know when you know. Did you wake up that mo- morning and say, like, okay, it's time. Did something tell you it's time? Or were we at work at the time when, when that moment came? Yeah, I, I knew, I, I knew, you know, and my leadership style was very hands-on and I, I could see that, you know, and to be honest with you, I could see that, you know, maybe I was, holding back you know some of my commanders by being too you know too overbearing or too you know too involved and and I said you know it's someone else's time I always and I'm sure you saw this like we would see the guys that were that were like when is this guy gonna go you know and I I never was that guy but I I also knew that like you know you always want to leave a room while everybody's still clapping (laughs) right yeah you don't want to be that guy where you walk out the door and like, thank God. It's like you said, it's, uh, I'm sure hopefully you get some guys saying, you know, it's not the same without you. Like, I'm sure you had a few guys might have said that, you know, like, Hey, it's not the same without you. Their decision styles change. And I had guys all the time. It's not by, cause I still live in town and they're like, it's not the same. You got out the right time. Sorry, man. You, we, we, don't, we miss you. You know, we miss some of the stuff that you were able to do here. So I'm sure you had a lot of that because of your influence. Yeah. I, um, one of the things, as, as you know, because we've done some training together is, a, you know, I left, I ran the range um, and, you know, just one of my buddies, is a sergeant now, and he's a homicide sergeant. He's doing both like I, like I was. Um, and, you know, he's like, he's, you know, we're chopping it up about the range and, you know, they they catch a murder. You know what I mean? Like, of course, the range cycle, the cycle starting and then, you know, you catch a job at the most inopportune time, you know, so. You know, like it always happens, but. Good. But it's great that you have the business too. I mean, that you're still connected into law enforcement. It's a good feeling. That's, I th- and you and I used to talk about that. Like, uh, that's like, especially when we, we were there a few times and then trained so many people. And remember you and I talked about like the, you know, you asked me about business and, you know, just knowing what to do next and having that plan. I remember saying, you know, you just, you got to have that plan. A lot of guys, they, you know, you feel it out, feel it out, feel it out. Where some guys I would see in my career, they just retire like 25, 30 years and like, okay, what do I do now? And, and some, you know, some come back, like in the local PDs, they come back as specials or whatever. And that's fine, you know, but for me, it was like, same thing as you, like still be connected with, you know, policing and law enforcement and, you know, legal stuff. Um, Cause you're doing something, you know, to make things better, you know, to keep, keep people, you know, on the right track and right path and what you do, you know, and, uh, that's, that's a good thing, man. That's a really good thing. Um, so in your job, uh, what did you do the last, like looking back, what, what was the, the final few years of your career? What was the, the highlights that you did that you could look back saying before you left, I did this, I did this, I did this. That was great. The positives. Well, I, I think that I, adopted a philosophy very early on that it wasn't about promotion unless it was about making change. You know, I never needed to be that guy that was the chief or, you know, the captain, you know, but 
sometimes it's necessary to promote to make organizational change you know um you know sometimes some to me the best kind of leadership uh is transformational leadership when you have an opportunity to change an organization from within and that was i was very fortunate enough to when i promoted you know to captain under the uh prosecutor suarez that she was very big on on transformational leadership she's very big on being active in the community and these are things that affected me um if i look back on some of the highlights of my career it's not necessarily always all about the rank i look back on some of the cases that i was involved in that um you know led to giving a semblance of peace to a family that's really never going to get it because their child is gone so some of those cases are you know we're amazing and i work with an amazing bunch of people and like anything else when you work in an agency that's like you know a busy agency maybe surrounding an inner city um you're going to have limited resources and in, in effect to do your job you know and I'm, you know i'm sure you see it you can go up to a you know a municipality that has the big budget and you know the cops are making a buck and a half a piece and they've got every rifle in the car every gadget every gizmo but you know it'll it'll never be used so that's a that's a thing you know you you the struggle for limited resources to get, to do your job is always tough um but you know i always say that we worked i worked some of the cases that are the hardest cases i've ever seen with people that had you know limited resources um because of budgetary constraints and everybody came through and it's kind of like why you and I have that kinship, you know, may not be the smartest guys in the room. Maybe it falls back to your Marine Corps background, but we're going to outwork. We're not going to be outworked, right. you know, and, and that's, I was fortunate enough to have a bunch of people around me that just refused to be outworked. And obviously as you know, you move up in rank, you're only as good as your squads. Well said, man. I mean, that's, uh, that's some good humble humbleness there, you know, and that's the the true, you know, one of the true aspects of many of leader, good leadership, you know what I mean? Cause sometimes uh, you find people just try when they you know, move up in rank, whatever rank they are, they try too hard, you know, and you can, and, and most cops, even the dumbest cop can see right through, right. They can see the investigators, but they can say, okay, this guy's just, or this gal's just trying way too hard to be like something or not. And like you said, you just, but again, your body of work, just looking at your body of work. I mean, it's a, it's a pedigree of some successful places and things you've seen, you know, you go from corrections and you go into Baltimore, which is, you know, what a hell of a city that is, you know, and then, then you go to Rutgers. So you like, you go from, you know, incarcerated and people that are, you know, in you know, jail, county jail, and then you, you deal with the city and then you're going into universities. So it's a whole community policing aspect, right? So you're seeing that and then all of a sudden, yeah. boom, you go to the prosecutor's office, which is so you, you saw pretty much like almost every level that uh that you can say this is my 360 you know right look at this where other cops right. are just like ah, oh, just this is my life i got promoted and i moved on and that was it you know i was fortunate enough to every time i i made a movement from from an agency it was to better myself and you know when we came on the job guys didn't really change organizations that much you i mean obviously we started in corrections and well, you started in the military, but we started in corrections and obviously we didn't, and this is no disrespect because we both have some, some correctional officer friends, you know, Eddie Cruz, Carlos Diaz, guys that um, 
Ron Parham, guys that would have been amazing police officers anywhere, anywhere would have ran, you know, departments. Um, but we, we were fortunate enough to move on to, to the next step. And every time I, I left an agency, I felt like, you know, I hope that I left it better. I hope that I moved on for the right reasons. Um, and I had a chance to, to grow from that. And, and that's what I think it's all about, you know, cause guys will stay in agencies where, you know, when you're, when you're, let me back up, when you're interviewing to be a police officer, your thought is, I want the job. I want to get on the job. We never really, it's the one career where you don't really look around you and say, is this a good fit for me? Is this agency a good fit for me? Is this organization a good fit for me? Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to spend, you know, some time in some solid organizations, especially, you know, the last, you know, 16 with the prosecutor's office to where I felt that this was a good fit. This was home. And a lot of guys will stay in a place that's just not progressive, um, not community oriented, and then gripe about it or moan about it and, and not make that change. And, uh, and again, in summary of that, right, you went from central Jersey, so to speak, right, Middlesex County, then shot away down the pike into, into Baltimore, Maryland. Then you shot your way all the way to Rutgers. You were uh, mostly you were Rutgers and Piscataway, right? You, no, Newark. Newark. I was in right? Newark. Okay, you yep, Newark. Yeah, with Richie yep. Bourne, right? Yeah, that's then, how I wound up coming back with Rich and uh, Nick Gillespie. Okay, and then then you, you went north and then way north to Jersey City. So, like you've seen it all. <laughs> you know what I mean? You've yeah, it and all. and it's funny because when I was when I was transitioning to the prosecutor's office, I had I had a solid resume at the time, and I I was interviewing with a couple of prosecutors' offices. And, you know, the, something just told me to go to, to Jersey city, to go to, you know, to go to Hudson or to go to Essex, because, you know, I knew I was comfortable in the Baltimore environment, you know, in a, in a fast paced environment. Um, you know, so I was lucky enough to, to go to Hudson. Standing, man. All right. So let's back up a second. Um, because again, as I talked about the, uh, truth in law enforcement, let's go back to the Academy days for a second, right? Let's go. Tell me, you know, if you can give like a round robin from corrections, what you learned from corrections academy to the police academy. Um, you know, because because uh, where I'm going with this, I want to talk about you know your mindset, how it was, uh, why do you want to be a police officer, and then tell me about your academy life and how how you dealt with it. Right. So, I, you know, I had no law enforcement in my family, so. I was working at a bar. I was bartending, bouncing, you know, the typical stuff that, you know, that we did back in the, you know, the late eighties and, um, you know, school wasn't for me at that point. I had, you know, came from an impoverished upbringing. I college wasn't an option at first. Um, I wanted to go in the military. I wanted to be a Marine. My uncle was a Marine in Vietnam. My mom wasn't having it. Um, you know, so I wound up, you know, finding my way and then, and then, you know, through, bartending and bouncing. I made some friends with some police officers and I made friends with uh, a guy who wound up being the chief of South River, West Bomba. Um, and, and Wes said, Hey, why don't you take the civil service test and, you know, see what you can do with that. So I took the test and got hired in, in Middlesex County. And I didn't have, well, I could say corrections wasn't for me in the long term. I didn't have a bad experience there. Like, I, I think that um, the academy 
was like I went through the correction officers training academy in uh, West Trenton um, under the the Glacken days, if you will. And uh, I had a I had a great experience. I thought the account the academy at that time was professional. It was run well. The firearms program was run well. Um, the instructors were great. You know, guys like you know Peach Lesser, who's yeah. I don't even know. Big, big you know, yeah. Pete's I'm sure retired at this point, but guys that had an impact on me as a, at a young age that you say, okay, you can do a lot in the correctional, in the correctional setting. So, you know, you could be on the SOG team or, or the, the correctional emergency response team, the CERT team, or, you know, and I, and I did everything that you could do there. You know, I worked every shift and I worked visiting and I was uh, quote unquote FTO, you know, cause got, cause it was a young agency. And, um, you know, when it was time to go, a bunch of us, I think, you know, you, a couple other guys, um, Nick, maybe, maybe born, we all left right around the same time and, and, you know, went out into the world. And, um, at the time I was married to my daughter's mom and she said, you know, let's just go somewhere that's within a car ride because our family's here and our, and our child's young. So it was Atlanta or Baltimore. And I just said, you know, Baltimore's a little bit closer and, you know, took the job, you know, um, it was a great learning experience. You got your, you got your experience in what we'll call dog years, you know? So you do two years in Baltimore city and, and it's the equivalent of, of doing 10 years in a regular PD, you know, you're seeing the things that are defined in case law, you know, um, you know, I'm in patrol and I had a, a dying declaration, you know, you hear shots fired, you run into the block, all your posts are real small. So, you know, you run two blocks over, and you see a guy that's hit and he says, you know, X shot me, you know, and you're going to go to court and you're going to testify to stuff like that. It's stuff that, you know, it's, it's, you almost don't appreciate it as a, you know, a 25 year old cop, you know, right. as to how it's going to affect you moving on in life. Oh yeah. And, uh, any corrections, like the good old days, you know, you know, when you work a hallway security and, and having like, that was like more of a more posh position compared to when you were in a pause, but you, right. like you said, you learn, you learn so much, um, in all aspects of that. And then, um, clacking, I mean, that dude, you know, you see dudes now, like we were, we've been teaching our company was teaching uh, case law in our basic SWAT school, the first ever in the entire planet. No company ever did it. Right. We did the case law right. in 2002, but Glacken, that dude, he was like, right. Like he knew everything. Yeah. Like he was right. the master, like Bruce Lee of search and seizure case law. Uh, what a, what a dude that guy was. And you're, and you're right. And there's a guy that's a legend and out of state correction, you know what I mean? Like, so guys are saying, Oh, you know, you're not going to, Oh, you're, you're a hack. You're a jail guard. I mean, listen, the one thing I learned in corrections is, and you know, this because, you know, we both did this and, you know, even in hallway security, when you're running in and you got to put hands on somebody, there's no, there's no nothing, you know, you had, we had handcuffs back then. I don't even know that I think only hallway security may have handcuffs now, but like, you know, you know, there's no batons, there's no, yeah. it's your your verbal judo as we as we <laughs> called it right and yeah. and um you know your abilities so i i think you, de-escalation came to us very early because yeah. we worked in those positions you you're simply not afforded you know to talk smack to somebody if you can't back it up you know i always felt that i always felt like some of the florida florida model depending on the, the terrain like I, I always felt like cops should have to go work like couple weeks even in academy even like i always said the academy should have like a one week block 
where all they send the recruits to different different facilities, you know, wherever the, the, the academy is, and just send right. them for a week, and they do a, do an actual paper. Like, they interview, they talk, they talk to the officers, they talk to some of the inmates, and then they come back that week, and then they, they do a narrative report of what they found, you know, because, like you said, you don't know. You don't know the streets better than when you work in the jail for a little bit, and then you get out there, like you said, you went to Baltimore, so you really learn the streets, but corrections, like, that's where I mastered the art of search you know searching people finding drugs sure. guns like i learned i used to sit in the pods and just talk to all these dudes like oh yeah you remember all the gangs and gang members you know dudes who committed homicides and you know rape and stuff like you would find out investigation 101 just by listening to these people and they would tell you and then i went on the street and i was like you know we didn't need canine at the time we didn't have canines right like you just go out right. there we, you knew how to find everything yeah um so i, I always felt that corrections should have Officers should be on the street nowadays, especially these young kids, they should have a component in there where they, they have some type of interaction to understand what's they're, what they're going to be dealing with. Because even, listen, man, right? If you could you could work, you know, you take Baltimore, City of Plainfield, New York City, whatever, but you take a nice town here, like in Chatham Borough or something like that, wealthy homes, like drug dealers are out there, you know? But like, you know, and that's why these officers, you know, that, their, their encounters with some of these people, they're not used to, you know, what we're used to because we saw right. so many different versions of people. And I think those, I think if the one thing academies could tweak is add something into that where they can see it, you know, to understand because, you know, to have an instructor, like, you know, we were instructors, we can talk certain things, but it's not until you have that street person telling you right to your face, you know, and, and I think we learn a lot. You know, um, the police academy itself. So when you left corrections, what you went to Baltimore and you had to go to their academy? Yeah. So I had to go through a full academy in Baltimore <laughs> City and Baltimore City did it differently than New Jersey. So they really their model was to digest as much of the material as you could digest. So the physical training was. I would say not to even to the extreme as, as what it was in in the correctional training academy. Now you're putting through 300 recruits a year in the Baltimore city police Academy. So maybe, you know, you can't afford to wash as many, obviously you can't afford to wash as many out because you need, you need police officers on the street. So um, if you were involved in a physical fitness program on, on your own, they would say, okay, today you're going to, you're going to go run laps, you know, and it wasn't, you know, there was times, you know, the most, I think I ran in the, in the Baltimore Academy was maybe three miles, but we were involved in a good physical training program after the academy and there was a group of six or seven of us that worked out and you know did you know uh, it wasn't really mma back then but did some some judo some grappling you know weights you know some things on our own and and the instructors recognized that we were physically fit and and so that there wasn't that um concentration of pounding you out the way you got in a new jersey academy now there were other things though they did team building exercises and and things in other ways to get you all moving in the same direction um but you know i i had a good experience there i, I can't say that i didn't um but baltimore city's model was different so when i when i went to baltimore baltimore county from baltimore city i took that job for a ten thousand dollar raise it was just at the time i think we were making maybe twenty six thousand in baltimore city and i had a young family and they're going to offer me thirty six thousand and, you know, I had a post in West Baltimore and I was going to have a post in, you know, Southwest of the County, you know, just 
basically bordering my post for a $10,000 difference. And, you know, they weren't crazy about waivers. They had just started taking waivers. So they pounded us out a little bit physically to try to get us moving in the Baltimore County model. Um, but I think that what I liked about Baltimore city, and even back then it was, you know, every, every Baltimore has been in the papers and everybody kicks Baltimore, you know, hard, but there was an emphasis on community policing when it wasn't popular to say community policing. And I, and I think that that's a necessity because, you know, being a white police officer policing in an all African-American neighborhood, you know, you should know a little bit about culture. You should know a little bit about what's, you know, acceptable in the community. You should know a little bit about respecting someone that may come from a different place than you. And everybody, you know, is not a bad guy. And that's where I think we see some of the things now. And you talk about some of the departments that don't experience as much crime, you know, you may, you know, you may pull somebody over just because it's an African-American driving through your town and you haven't seen, you know, an African-American resident, you know, so you just stop this car or the car came back to a different, a different area or an inner city area. So you're stopping the car. Well, what's your probable cause, you know, and is it, is, if something's wrong, then, then fine. But in law enforcement, we got to get back to the culture. Like anybody that's in law enforcement should welcome some of the changes that are going on now. If you're in it for the right reasons, you know, as long as they're as long as they're safe, as long as our cops are safe and they're afforded the opportunity to win, if things go sideways, you know, I'm I'm all for change. You want to up training, you want to up all these things, but let's up let's up some physical things as well, you know, right. because that's why that's why we have people shooting, you know, um, emotionally disturbed persons because they can't roll with them. Exactly. Yeah. You can't protect yourself. So you go to the gun. Right. And um, when you got back to Jersey for Rutgers, since you came from Baltimore, did you get a, did you have to just go to some in service for the Academy for Rutgers? You had to do an Academy all over again or did you? So I got a waiver. Uh, They gave you a waiver of service. So I didn't have to do the, the, I did the physical training for like the first two weeks until my waiver went through. And then um, pretty much you're doing, uh, you know, law, some of the classes that were good. required by the PTC, but I went through Stamler on a waiver. All right. That's good. That's good. And, and so, yeah, you, you bring up really good points about the, the, the culture now. And um, that's why we talked about a little bit. The, the last segment I did was kind of a start off dry when I did it by myself, just to talk about, you know, the Academy and personalities and stuff like that. Cause, cause that's like, you just sit down on the head. Like if you want to be a cop, like, you know, like we always say, like I, I used to ask recruits, Way in the beginning, when I used to do my intro, Officer Medina, blah, blah, blah. And I go around the room, and there used to be 50, 60 recruits. And I go around, hey, you know, why do you want to be a police officer? And years ago, they would they would say, my father, my mother was a cop, military, you know, the whole thing. Right. My uncle was Vietnam, Marines, all that stuff. And, you know, pride, and I always wanted to be a cop. Then it was that era of where, uh, in, sometimes in the, in the mid-2000s, where there was the economy, once again, obviously economy is bad now, but inflation, but um, it was when uh, kids were getting, young kids were getting their degrees and there was no jobs. Like remember it was, it was that time, like in middle 2000s and yeah, everyone was getting- high, six. Yeah, they're getting those high degrees and no one could find jobs. And then I remember some recruits at that time saying, you know, 
I was working at quick check as a manager so I can hear, you know, all these high degrees and you know, like we figured pensions and benefits, the cop thing was the thing. So that, that's where right. we started seeing the slow change and Hey, let's get this pension benefits job and maybe it'll be a cool gig. Um, and I started seeing that and that was kind of my, okay. And then, then all of a sudden when they, like I worked at Somerset, now someone, they moved to the college. I remember telling Dr. Celeste, I said, man, this is not going to be good. You know, cause when you have your own environment, it's a good thing just to kind of, you know, cause listen, the purpose of the Academy is to weed out those who really shouldn't be cops because you, you can find weak links in, 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 Sometimes, you know, you could find people that are like abusive, you know, we've, we've found exactly. people that, you know, that are abusive, they shouldn't be cops, you know, and that's just a fact. And we'd weed them out. And that was the goal to weed them out because we always said that, you know, I remember sitting before the police training commission one point because a couple recruits, I yelled too much and I cursed too much. And I was violent. Like when I talked, you know, right. And I'd sit there like, well, the hell this, what are these people talking about? Like, I said, this, this female officer or male officer walks on somebody's porch and they say, get the fuck off my property and get in your face. How are you not going to know the role? You know, like how you, how you not, like you said before, you got to know how to play the role because that's what we are as police officers, you know, from, from corrections, police on the street, the investigators, like you were, oh yeah. Like you're still dealing with people and you have to learn to deal with people. And that's what the Academy was for. That's why the world is, we bring this podcast back to life. Let the world let's let's pay attention it's a foundation we're building a foundation of new police officers you know to have the base foundations of each state so whether it's baltimore maryland state of new jersey texas their standards you meet these standards police training commission posts whatever and then you move on and you you go out there but like new recruit graduates the academy gets kind of yelled at whatever and all of a sudden they go into baltimore like you worked like you know they're walking into Hellstorm, you know, what I mean, like they're they're seeing things that they're well, I didn't see this at the academy. Well, it's kind of hard to replicate dead bodies <laughs> at the academy, you know, like it's pretty hard to do that, you know. Or yeah, you know, I, I'll mean, tell you a funny story. So I I get out um and cell phones were like three dollars a minute, maybe at that time. This was oh, 95, 95 nice. when I was a, a Baltimore <laughs> City, just graduated the academy and you know, there were no field training officers in, in West Baltimore, which is where I was assigned to. So you did your field training in the Southwest. And and that was, that w wasn't horrible. Say, let's say that was like, say maybe, a, you know, the Plainfield border of Piscataway, you know, there were, there was good, there was bad. You'd have your shootings, robberies, those types of things. So I spend my first day in the Western and the Lieutenant gives, you know, holds the inspection. He gives, he gives a roll call and he ends the roll call with try not to get captured. Yo, I had a buddy that was working in, in Baltimore County. I went out to the payphone. He was working midnights. I dialed him up. I worked, I called him up. I said, yo, you gotta get me out of here. I'm like, they're capturing people out here. I'm like, I didn't sign up for this, you know. Wow. It, it, you know, but it, it was, you know, he was, you know, obviously that was for our benefit, but yeah, you know, it, it definitely is a culture, a culture, not a not a culture shock to speak, but you have a city that's you know, maybe 600,000 people that has, you know, 350 shooting murders, you know, a year. If, if New York City, remember, if New York City had those stats, you'd have 4,500 murders a year, you know, based per capita. So it was an extremely violent city, not the most violent city in the country, but it was an extremely violent city. So, you know, as a young police officer, you know, my block, my postcard was maybe five or six blocks. And I had 30 murders 
on my post in the first, you know, the first year of being there. So um, you definitely learn quickly and, you know, you see the value of life and you, and you see that there's a lot of good people in the community that are trapped after dark, you know, and, and that's where you start to learn. It's, you know, it's more about class, meaning the, the impoverished are held hostage, right? Because if you live in the, by the inner harbor, you live in a, in a nicer area. I live in, you know, a nicer area. It's a difference of, you know, living in North Edison in a, a million dollar McMansion compared, you know, to where I live. It's, it's not the same, you know your experiences aren't going to be the same. You touched on it before you touched on it before the, um, the talk about the, your, your advocate for change, you know, like if we can change policing in a certain way, which is obviously I agree with you, like, cause you know, we got to adapt to the changes. Um, so we talk about um, one of the topics I bring up here is about your opinion on the politics and politicians slash media, how they, what's your opinion and feeling on the politicians and media kind of part of the igniting of like, you know, anti-cop rhetoric, you know, you know, not that you're, and I know your position, you know, what you're doing now. So, you know, you can speak freely or speak tread softly as you want to. Sure. But I always want to ask that since you're retired to say, Hey, you know, what did you experience and how did you, how do you, your feelings are about the politicians media kind of ganging up on cops at certain moments? Cause obviously we know we've been down this road before, like it happens in cycles. Mm -hmm. But this time around, like, what's your take on all that? I mean, obviously, the media is is the devil. Um, you know, the good the good stories don't sell newspapers, you know, so to speak. And the numbers are. Let me let me start by saying we can always do better as a, as a profession. We can always do better, right? But the numbers don't really reflect the way the media attacks were. I don't think you'll find a cop that none that we've worked with that that would say watch objectively the the george floyd incident and say that officer acted in the right way yeah you know i, I can't watch it i'll throw up I, I get sick to my stomach when i watch it you know um i, I the first thing i think we sh we should do to a, to address the media issue is we should invite the media in open don't don't close ranks at that point open our ranks invite them in more citizen academies more ride-alongs more exposure to what actual police officer goes through you know you want to know what goes on in piscataway well you, you know you're going to ride with with sergeant medina tonight on the 4 to 12 and you're going to see what his what his shift looks like you know um we had a very successful program and again i had a good boss and she was she was into it with where we did the um the simulator and we brought you know citizens and clergy and, and community action leaders in and let them go through the simulator and then they start seeing some of the things that we see and as you amp up the stress you're going to see the mistakes you know so then you have you know somebody that's a member of the clergy that just shot an unarmed man in the you know in the simulation and then, and it, it's a great room for pause, you know, let them right. open, open the ranks, let them, right. let them ride with the homicide squad for a month, right. you know, ride with the violent crime squad for a month, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. see, see what, what the encounters are. Yeah. That, that was actually something that is a great point because that's, that's something that, um, like a few, you know, years back, 
our department leadership at the time, they, they were big proponents of, you know, community policing. They had the citizens Academy, you know, they had all that stuff going on and um, they had me do a ride along. And I remember uh, with this, this gentleman, Indian gentleman. So you're a nice guy. We drive over by Rutgers university stadium, ironically. And um, you know, EDP, big, tall guy with construction, I guess he got fired and he was just mentally out there yelling, screaming to the Rutgers cops. And we got there, like I told the gentleman, yeah, just stay back and, you know, we'll deescalate. You know, think about it, right? Deescalation, that gets right. the big thing. We, we've been doing it forever. You, you right. played it so well. Sure. And all of a sudden, as soon as I got out, the dude sees me. So he knew what was up. He's like, I'm Dina. I'm like, oh, what's up, man? What's up, killer? You know, so we start talking, calmed him down. And then Rutgers like, oh, you know this guy? I said, yeah, yeah, we, you know, Plainfield. Oh, yeah, such and such street. Yeah, he's from Plainfield. Got in the bus, no problem. So the, the, the male looks at me, he's like, oh. That was that was amazing. That guy was so big. Oh yeah, I said. He goes, I'm surprised you didn't shoot him. You know, and this is the guy telling me, like, no, it's not about shooting people. It's about talking to right. people. Like we, you know, you you cultivate relationships through time. Even mentally ill people, you actually they actually remember you. So then, next you know, boom, we shoot over to the north side, Plainfield border, stabbing. <laughs> you know, we roll up there, and you know, and then he I said, stay in the car. There's the, the ambulance just got there because we came from the north side and. All of a sudden, this, this uh, one of the guys, another uh, drug dealer slash uh, informant slash uh, happy customer, guy we dealt with all the time, he, he's got the knife in his side. It, like he's literally got the knife right. and he's, he's smoking a cigarette. You know, the typical city dude. He was up at the end of like, hey, you all right? Yeah, I got a knife in me, but I punked that dude. You know, And the Indian guy said, kind of sitting there in the car with the window down, we're listening to the whole conversation and the guy's just smoking. You know, we get him in the rig and he's gone and driving a car let's go get a coffee he goes and he asked me he goes is this what you guys how you handle things all the time i go pretty much i said but you know there's times there's it could be worse he goes that guy who had a knife in him i'm like and he was like talking to you so calmly i'm like yeah but i said this is what you don't see and you know and, and the guy that was with me he was a really nice man he went back to the academy and he talked to the media i think it was news 12 and he he, he praised our department like you said it's just it, it, like you invite them in and let, let them see, um, you know, right before when COVID hit, um, I was leaving, I was getting ready to leave, but some young girls came into our police department and um, they wanted to talk about, you know, that's when you brought up uh, Floyd and they wanted to ask about, since they live in the community, they're growing up here, real nice girls are like 19, 20 college students, whatever. And they just wanted to say a prayer to all of us and then talk to us about our talk, our thoughts on, uh, the whole um, Floyd thing as it happened and about use of force and how we can work together as community. So I thought that was the greatest thing. Um, but some, sometimes you get some leadership that, and I'm sure you know so many in your network that don't think like you and I, where they're like, I really feel uncomfortable because some of these girls, they wanted to talk to our chief. And I've heard other stories where people like that go to their department, live in a community, say, we like to sit with your, your administration, just talk about what are you doing for the officers to make them better so that nothing like Floyd happens. And I remember telling the girls, and I, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of, because uh, I, I told people from News 12 this when they called me, the legal team, I said, you do know that in their policy, that neck restraint was a policy thing. And they were like, what? So I, I sent it over to, to them. I said, so we're reading it. And it was called neck restraint, um, right. unconscious or un render unconscious or conscious. It was a restraint. So somebody taught them that. And, I, and my point was, as I explained to them, I said, listen, 
it's sickening to watch. No cop, any smart cop in America, majority of us would be like, that's, that's totally fucked up. That should have never happened. Makes you sick. But it's sad is that somebody taught these officers this technique and they put it in the policy and yet no one above that dude swung for it. You know what I mean? Like in other words, accountability, like, yeah, we're all accountable, but why would you even think about like, you know, being in corrections and, and your whole career, even when we tussled with all these dudes, no one was ever like putting pressure on neck carotid chokes. And it was just, it was forbidden forever. And, and then all of a sudden, like this happens. And when people, these girls were shocked when they saw the policy, when like, why would they write that? Like, this is America. Like, that's why you go to Jersey. I think we've done pretty good. Yeah, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Our use of force for years has been pretty good compared to other states. I mean, Pat, I, I can go, I've gone to certain states where we, we take them through our range stuff. They didn't even have qualification standards. They like, once yeah. you're done, it's like, I'm like, wait a minute, you don't have standards. We do it twice a year with handgun, four times a year with rifle sub gun. And some of these states I've gone to, it wasn't until we got there that we sent them a policy and they implemented what we did. So like you said, it's, you know, being a firearms guy, crazy to think that in DT, like, you know, with the politics and the media, like I said, they should do more ride-alongs. And, and at the same time, you talked about it, training. Like um, I felt, and you just left recently, right? we're getting slammed with like officers are getting slammed with a lot of online training. Right. But what is that doing for the normal, in your opinion, what's that doing for the normal cop being in the prosecutor's office and seeing a lot of cases, what has that done to, to hurt or help cops? I mean, there's, I, I, there's pros to a lot of online training, but as a cop, like, what is our job? Again, I think, I think there are times where we're our own worst enemy and right. the biggest problem I see in law enforcement right now, and, and it's a problem that's in a lot of other fields, but when you're in the private sector, you, you can't afford to be behind the times. We don't change, we're strictly reactive. So something horrible happens that didn't happen in New Jersey, didn't happen anywhere near New Jersey. As you, as you said, we don't have many of the issues that are in other places. Certainly with, you know, the, you know, the shooting of, you know, unarmed African-American men, it does happen. There have been instances in New Jersey, but the frequency is not here the way it is in some of these other places. And some of the things are just not updating your training for years and years. One of my biggest things that I, I would cringe at, even in the prosecutor's office, when I looked at something, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, we're the prosecutor's office. We got to be the cutting edge. We got to have the most update policies, right? And then you look at a policy and you see, you know, updated in, you know, 1988, you know, or something like that. Like it's really old, outdated. It's got, or, or agencies that have policies that have units in it that they don't even have in their agency anymore. So you, we had this thing called the force unit back in the day. And I'm looking at a policy when I got there in 2005 and I, I don't know what the force unit is. It, it hadn't been in existence probably for, you know, five to 10 years. So that was one of the things, again, you know, towards the end, we were, you know, we recognized it early enough to start working and redoing policy manuals and things of that nature. But you can have all the online classes about mental health and resiliency, but there needs to be a practical application of things. And you need to tell me, if you say absolutely 
under no circumstances will you utilize a chokehold. Well, what if the guy got my gun? And that's all, that's all I have is to hold on for dear life. What if they, what, you know, what if he's killing someone else? What if he's killing his child and I can't get him off that child? You know, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not, I'm not going to be a popular thing. If I go to a domestic situation and a guy is choking his child to death or choking his wife, I'm going to get him off that person. You know, it's a situation where you can't use a, a baton or you can't, you know, pepper spray. I've had more bad experiences, to be honest with you, Jose, than I had good experiences with it. You know, it doesn't affect everybody. Um, you know, when I when I was in Baltimore County, we carried we carried pepper spray, and there was an an area that had a high uh, population of Hispanics that were used to to spicy food. It's 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 a pepper based product. It doesn't affect them. Right. I eat a very spicy diet. It doesn't affect me the way it does. I'm I'm out of it in probably like 30, 40 seconds, wow. you know? Cool. So, you know, some of these things we got, we have to adapt our training. I think there are some agencies in North Jersey, I think have adapted right now to, to where they're doing BJJ for, um, you know, their cops as part of in-service training. But then you, you know what that is well, because you've always been a, a physically uh, fit guy. There are going to be cops that are going to go out on injury as soon as we put them under any kind of physical stress. So I'm a, I'm a command staff person. So I can't lose half of half of the staff. Right. You know, we had it, we, we, we instituted the uh, uh, ASP program and, you know, you're going to have some casualties of war, so to speak, right, just from exactly. the training, you know? Yeah. And it's funny because it's, it's not anything that's, that we would deem to have been hard. I mean, and, and with that, that being said, cause it's so well said on, on so many levels, the personalities look back at, you know, compare the personalities to the people now, uh, the, the people that you've dealt with now. And obviously you had a good team of people, but through your career, the compare the personalities from the now, from back then, those, those personalities of cops, like what you see any difference in. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. There there's, there's more acceptability to to the kinder nice nicer more gentler communicative from from boss to officer you know i worked with a with a boss that um you know you and i you and i both know you and i both worked with i won't say his name on the on a recording because he's <laughs> he's probably a, a big fan but right. I, I remember one of the things that was so upsetting to him is someone said that a boss said to him you're not approachable to your people he was so offended you know really? like approachable I'm, I'm the lieutenant you know i'm the captain i'm approachable you know, i'm not supposed to be approachable i'm supposed to tell you what to do right very authoritarian right now <laughs> one of the toughest things before we both left was dealing with um the newest officers highly educated um a, a totally different generation you know they question everything um and, and not always in a bad way, right? And they, they're not motivated by the things that we were motivated by, right? We had young families, we had, um, we were motivated by, you know, making money, serving the community, doing, doing things right. These kids, if they don't feel like they're making a difference in the first five, 10 minutes of the job, if what they're doing, they feel is not comparative to what they wanna be doing, they're, 
they disconnect. You know, they're not going to quit, but they, they disconnect and you got to motivate them again. Right. You know, some of the hardest, hardest things. Right. I've seen that. I've seen that. Um, like I see some, some people have post like little videos, certain rank and file have posted. Like I said, I, um, I've always felt that, you know, again, maybe I'm wrong, but my philosophy has always been, uh, you, you gotta be your own leader as a police officer from start to finish. Like I, you know, I was like, like all of us go getter the whole nine. Okay. Excited yep. the whole thing. Um, we didn't have all this technology that we have now that we could do the stuff we're doing. But as I cultivated my career, like you cultivated yours, like my philosophy was, okay, now I started teaching at the academy. And I started, and all I did was, when, especially at the police academy level, uh, from corrections to police. And then uh, in between, when prosecutors would come, APs would come in and teach the, the you know, criminal justice blocks, I was duty officer. So I'd go into the, uh, the duty officer office and for a couple of hours, like, the old, for those who are listening in that don't remember VHS tapes, right? <laughs> um, they had every single in the line of duty video ever that was made as the series came out. Right. And all I would do was pop in the videos and there, there was a that manual that came for each one for the episodes and I'd read it and study it and I started writing notes and I watched car stops and I watched the searches and I watched the shootings and I watched the killing. And Trooper Coates was probably is the most famous one right. that every cop should be ingrained in their head um set the tone and uh and i said like you know as i started teaching recruits i learned so much from those videos and i created that whole model of myself saying you know you guys and gals have to learn as time goes on you got to be your own leader like when you're out there in that car stop that's yours so you're the leader of this stop so if you want to stop a million cars that's great you got to be your own leader control the environment you know and then when someone else in your already shows up like you know, it was a respect thing. You'd show up, a guy like you would show up, you know, you good. Oh yeah, I'm good. This and that. And, but you know, you'd watch your guy, Hey, you know, give some tips. And, and back then it was okay. I'd listen to some, and, 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 you know, I'd listen to a lot of the veterans that, you know, had a great pedigree. I'd even listen to the burnt out cops, like some of the burnt out cops that, you know, cause every, every cop, right. Has a story when they first started. Absolutely. Majority of them were like hot runners. And then all of a sudden they got burned on promotion you know, right. stuck on midnight shift because they got injured, uh, whatever. And they got the administration didn't like them. But I said, like, you got to be your own leader. And then eventually, because I, I, what happens is I watch, uh, I was watching some video and I won't give the person's name, of course, you know, training company stuff. But, you know, the guy himself, he's, he's a, he's an administrator, really good speaker. But you, you touched on it again. Um, he's talking about, I guess, a, officers new officers are looking for attaboys you know like more now right and I definitely guess he's describing what you just said like you got to go out of your way not to kind of like you know pet the puppy and great job great job like like on a regular compared to you know when i was supervising i would tell our guys flat out like you know you're you got a badge gun 43 one in the chamber you know did you study, have you studied your, your, your rules and regulations, policy procedures, and know your union contract? Yeah. Then when you get out there, make decisions. If you're unsure, you call me if I'm not on the road, whatever, um, and roll with it. You know, you're responsible, right? We always say you're responsible for the terminal resting place of that round fire. You're, you're responsible for your actions out there in the streets. Um, and then when a job came in good, you know, be doing paperwork or whatever, and be like, yo, guys, man, great job. Yeah. And, guys, and it means a lot more. Right. And it, mean, and it means a lot more. It's not 
that we're you know we're in a culture where people are policing for likes right just yeah. like like instagram right yeah. they're, they're policing for likes and and you know i i watched a, a young cop do something you know in an interview and he 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 did well and there was a point where there was a teaching component you know after that there of something that maybe he didn't do as well and i started you know listen i'm a student of the game right i started the right way i gave him the accolade for for what he did well i said that was amazing it definitely put us over in the investigation um here's something you could have done better you know oh cap crapping the job up you know no listen i'm not crapping the job up you did well but i want you to be better and you can and you can be better and and what happens now i and I fear is that leadership is going to bend the knee to that way of thinking. And it's not going to be, it's not good for the cops. It's not good for the young cops, you know, because the first time they encounter something that they can't get over, whether that's another human being, whether that's an investigation, they need the old salt that we talked about, right? The guy wasn't always burned out. You know, guy's got 28 years on a job. He don't want to leave. He loves it. This is all he's got. Obviously, we know that because we did the time. But, you know, that guy can teach you something. You know, don't write that guy off. And I think there's not as much humility. And, and maybe it's based on social media. Maybe it's based on, you know, you know, appearance and young. And we were young Thundercats, too, right? Like in shape and, you know, doing the same things. But we didn't have that that social media aspect where people were worshiping us or, you know, we saw each other. We learned from each other. You know, you wanted to learn something hand to hand. Eddie Cruz would beat your ass in the hallway. Yeah. You know, exactly. teaching you <laughs> things that we, that we, you know, you may have known from being a Marine, but I certainly didn't know some of those hand to hand things. I, at, at 54, when I was coming up, you boxed, you did karate, you know, it was all, it was, you know, striking based things. And judo was something that, you know, maybe was a little bit like wrestling and you didn't really understand why, but it was, it was like wrestling type stuff you know right yeah, eddie's right eddie eddie cruz started the the folding folding you up in the hallway while mike yeah. Perez did the uh suplex wrestling suplex in the hallway <laughs> yeah. you know so like you said yeah. we learned from all these guys you know and i remember like working with bobby t boy after yeah. afternoon shift we go up to the trailers and we put on a partial red man suit yeah. and just slug away and i'd wake up you know with swollen eye my wife would be like what the hell happened she thought i was partying drinking and it's like nah, we were, we were training after work because that's like you said it was thundercat like i was right. new and bob's like hey you want to be part of the sog team you gotta you gotta be part of this and you gotta learn and that's where it was like wow and then like i said you and eddie and these guys i was like it's like you said we had each other and and that's where like um that's why i saw like with the whole character of like when I started our SWAT team and like my thing was standards, man. Like, and yep. that's what my company model's always been about, like standards. And we teach it in the class and I put it out there. I said, listen, I ask officers all the time, what is the standard? You know, you're on a SWAT team, new entry guy, whatever, or been on a job. Some guys come in just to do basic SWAT to be with their new people. Tell me what a standard is. And a lot of cops can't answer it. The majority of cops can't answer it. I mean, hell, I ask cops, they'll you know, what, what do we do? Low light shooting most, what case brought that to life? Like one of many, and most cops can't recite it, you know, right. but um, I said, you know, standards, it's measurements of performance. If it's one qualifiable, quantifiable, verifiable, you know? So these are the things that like we, we made sure that the team hammered home every time, twice a month, they got hammered by stuff. 
And we were just constantly going, doing jobs, doing jobs. And then at one point, guys were like, you know, the older dudes got you know bad knees. They're like, well, do we really have to do the PT stuff anymore? Do we really have to do the shooting anymore? So yeah. I said, if you don't want to do no more, then quit. Somebody else is going to step up and do it for you. You know, and like, that's how it had to be because we always said accountability because it's not, I said, guys, what we do here doesn't just stay in our local. What we do here, if something bad or good happens, if there's a shooting, it goes to the prosecutor's office and then they got to make their determination. Then it goes to possibly attorney general's office. If something's really kinky and DCJ and all that. And like you said, like the new guys, as they started rolling in, um, I said, you, had, you know, we had to kind of curve around the whole uh, petting thing, you know, and which is, which is fine, you know, and, and you said it before about the education, highly educated. Some of the reports were like thesis papers. I'd read reports and I'm like, Hey man, like this is not college. I I call guys off the road. So listen, man, right. you write some good stuff, but you're writing a novel. Like it's once upon a time I stopped the car right. and then just tell the story the way it goes. And, and what happened was I was kind of like, or cause being old school guys, I was that old school guy where it's like, listen, just write what you saw, write what you did. Like a story when they open up the novels, when an AP sees it, an attorney sees it, the legal right. see it, they'll be like, holy shit, this guy, this is a guy, this guy or gal knows what the hell they're doing. Not this college crowd. And the majority of the young guys that got that, that, I guess that professional assassin, as you said, the, uh, the captain, whatever, now the, the sergeant, yeah. now they came back saying, listen, man, thank you for the advice. Cause now they went on to become detectives. Now they know how to write reports right. better over, over, you know, basic stuff. Um, but that's why I said that, that interview, that, that video I heard, I guess, of, you know, some guys are getting like a really emotional that they're not getting enough accolades on like all jobs. And like, I'm like, what, what are we going to thumbtack paper up on the wall? Well, say, hey, you, you got a cat from the tree or you brought the coffee in for the sergeant. And it's uh, yeah. And, and, I mean? and the thing about it is what what happens if you're working in one of these agencies, one of these PDs where the average night is is, in fact, a quiet night. And you're yeah. getting, you know, accoladed. You did all your alarm checks. You did your business checks. You do all these things, and you're getting, you, you know, you're you're the cop of the month. Then you have that violent, you know, situation that that forces you to action, and you're just lulled into a false sense of security that nothing's ever going to happen here, you know. And you walk into that Dunkin' Donuts on a midnight tour, and there's an armed robbery going on, and you know you get hurt because you're not paying attention. You know, you don't have to walk around like RoboCop on, on, on edge at every section, but you know, you know, a good cop walks in, evaluates what they've walked into prior to walking into it, and then either calms down or, or, or amps up, you know, as needed. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and, and again, going back to your career, that's, that's the beauty of your career, right? That's why it's so awesome to have you on. Cause again, you went from a lot of uniform from the correction, Baltimore Rutgers, you know, different levels to, and then all of a sudden, boom you went into suit and tie plain clothes. Like, so you saw, you finished out with all the bad side of the house. Like, so you, again, you, you saw all the spectrums and stuff and going into that, like being up in Jersey city, obviously there's a lot of crime up in that area too. Um, and you guys really, you know, kicked a lot of ass up there. Um, but let me ask you here, as we get closer towards some stuff, I uh, ending here sure. um, inside your department, because again, uh, being it, you know, finishing out rank as captain, I don't know how the process worked to get promotion stuff like that, but um, was, was uh, how much of the race, racial culture stuff did you see in your, your agencies? You know, obviously from 
we know what corrections was about. We all worked together. So it was like a, just like a, a tight knit family, but out there in like Baltimore, you know, from where your background ethnicity is and then into Rutgers to moving up rank in Rutgers. And then all of a sudden to uh, the prosecutor's office, did you see a lot of like, you know, a lot of stigma of like, you know, they only promoted this person cause he's white or he's, you know, she, he or she's this. And did you get a lot of disgruntled people? I mean, towards the end, I, I think you see more like, obviously, you know, I'll, I'll say something like, don't hate the player, hate the game. Like Baltimore right. city. Well, I, I didn't stay there long enough to, to test Baltimore County. I tested for detective was promoted. Rutgers. I tested w- was promoted. Obviously in the prosecutor's office, there's no testing, you know, don't, you know, obviously anytime there's a choice where between two people and one person doesn't get made um there's going to be equity issues and there's going to be you know expectancy issues so you know yes you're going to see it um i can tell you that you know most prosecutors offices don't have enough african-american leadership um you know don't have enough female leadership don't have enough hispanic leadership but I can also tell you that you can't promote something that doesn't exist. So it goes back to our right. hiring practices. So let's, let's, let's hire quality candidates. Let's, you know, groom everyone. And some people are built to be leaders and some people aren't, but you've got to give the, the proper opportunities to everybody, you know, and, and eventually the cream will rise to the top. I've been promoted in every place I've ever worked at. It's not because somebody likes my cologne. You know, I told you when we started, like, I'm not going to be outworked. I'm not going to be the smartest, never going to be the smartest guy in the room. If I don't have an answer, I know where to go to find it, but I will not be outworked, you know, and that's the stuff that people don't see. Like, like, oh, you want to look at me? Yeah, look at me. I have two divorces. (laughs) You know, I'm blessed with with a wife now, you know, but my life hasn't been easy. There were sacrifices made in order to be the best police officer that I could be that the average person is not going to make these sacrifices. Trust me. There's, you know, with a 20 and you have, you have older kids too with a 28 year old daughter who can tell you what I missed and what I didn't miss. And you just try to do the best you can do when, when you're there. So they don't remember all the, all the times you weren't, but you, this is almost like being a, a Shaolin monk to do this the right way to move, right. to move up. Yeah, man. You know, and, a big thing that you, you touched on it with the car stops, like informal leadership is everything. So I didn't have to be promoted to be a force to be reckoned with in the organization. And you just want to make sure that you're a force for good and, and not evil. You're not a part of the bitching and moaning about the organization, killing it, you know, bringing the morale down of everybody. Cause at the end of the day, we do have a situation, you know, the end of uh I think it was the end of 20 now where um, mass, you know, shooting uh, detective Joe seals was murdered. And then, you know, Joe interacted with some really bad people that we were tracking for a homicide. My detectives definitely would have interacted with them. If Joe hadn't interacted with them first, they were on their heels uh, so to speak. And, you know, Joe's loss of life, um, you know, probably prevented a lot more than the amount of people that were murdered after Joe, you know, and, okay. and it's a guy that was in my office every day. Hey, can you come down? I, I can't ID this guy. You know, the guy was a Jersey city cop that loved giving t- 
to the community. Um, and the stuff like that hurts, you know, it hurts, but it's why we have to be a certain way. We have to make sure our cops have all the tools that they need to be successful. What they do with them as a commander, I want to lay my head on the pillow knowing I gave Jose and his team everything they had to, you know, to be successful, you know, and, and I'm sure you've talked to SWAT guys and I've talked to SWAT guys that you and I are friends with, you know, um, that it, after they were involved in their first shooting, like, yo, I'm having a hard time with this. How do you deal with this on a daily basis? How do you, right. you know, and, and that's what, that's what I still want to be around the game for. You don't want somebody eating their gun because their best friend was killed. Right. You know, you got to yeah. prevent one of those if you can't prevent both. Yeah. Well, said, and, and that's, that's like since chills, as you were talking about uh, Joe Seals with that, that whole incident. Cause I remember with the, the SWAT team, um, and you know Matt Vogel when he uh, sure. he passed away, but but at the time I texted a, the group on a group text, say hey guys, you know stay safe, you know because I heard it was going on, and and then when we heard about what happened to Seals, it was like wow, you know it, it and, and and that's what I mean, like you know that when it's sad because when the bad stuff happens like that, you know that whole the way the blue wave comes and and we get together and and show our you know, thank you and love to a fallen officer or officers whatever. Um, and I know it's not, it's not a perfect world, but I always wish that, you know, like, you know, being on the union side, union president, all that stuff like that. Like yeah. I would say like, you know, when I go on some of these forums like, and hear these guys, you said best guys bitching and complaining, like, you know, act like, act like, you know, like the unity of when an officer dies. Sometimes if you guys can act, and that's why I used to tell our guys, like, act like, like instead of someone dying, act like the unity is there all the time and you'll work better together, you know? Um, because these are, the, like you said, these are the moments like for you to have that happen to one of your own. And then, as you said, to have guys afterwards being involved in a shooting and be, be, being able to still call, you know, and I know I, I still have dudes that'll still call me quietly or text me. Um, and, and like you said, for, for where you, you came from and what you've seen and the stuff you guys dealt with up there, you don't want no one eating a, a bullet, you know, you know, swallowing right. a barrel, you know, and, and it's sad because as you know, right. Some of these, some of these, you know, peer assistance groups and they have, they all, they have a good cause for um, some of these other organizations. They've, they've kind of jammed up cops in a, in, in a sense where like the cop is like, Hey, just pick up the phone. I call, but also next, thing you know, that you have a police department showing right. up to your local town. It's like, wait a minute. I, I just wanted to talk to somebody. And, and that's right. the fear. Like now the officer is now afraid, you know, to, so they can rely on a guy like you, but you know, how many Pat DeCarlos, Captain Pat DeCarlos are there, or just Pat DeCarlos are there, or Jose Medina, et cetera, et cetera, that will be yeah. that solid rock in the aftermath. Listen, it's just, it's just Pat or Jose. And, and, and at the end of the day, you hope that you, my biggest prayer is that I impacted enough people to continue what I, what my vision was or what the mission was, you know, and, and it, listen, obviously I didn't get everything right. Uh, we don't, we don't, you know, but you know, you want to just make sure that the next guy, and I told, told people when I left, you'll be fine. Like, like there's good leadership coming up. There's I'm being replaced by excellent leadership guys that I worked side by side with that I knew were capable of doing the job. I knew they were more capable than they knew they were. 
you know, because, and, and that happens a lot, but, you know, always pick up the phone and be that guy. Like you don't, and that's what I tell my friends, like, like, yo, you don't know when a guy's calling you, is it to shoot the shit about the Yankee game? Or is it because he just went through something that's a little bit traumatic that he can't bring home, you know, as he's riding home. And, you know, those are the relationships. The, that's the stuff that matters. I give a shit less about, you know, retiring as a captain, you know, other than the fact of, you know, putting it in a pension for my two ex-wives and daughter's college, but. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but, but at least you're doing it right you got the business thing going and like you said you're, you're handling the business <laughs> yeah no no I, I get it man. like i said and, and you it's a hell of a story i mean considering and that's um on that note too on the you know the cops mental stuff uh i know training around the, the country and, and there, are there are times when we cross overseas you know to you know, to Asia and all that good places. And we're teaching cops there. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, the same, same thing, you know, same circus, different clowns, right. Type thing. Yeah. But the same conversations would take place, even if it was in Mandarin, you know, in Hispanic tones or whatever, Brazil, something, something like that. Someone talks South Africa, Africa, um, the cops would talk the same similar way. So we are a unique breed, you know, and that society, you know, will never understand until like you said, come on in and take that ride along. And even then, you know, even then you're never going to understand it. And I remember when um, uh, my, my best friend, uh, Sergeant Dave Powell, when he barricaded himself that, that year in 2011 in his house. And I remember when I, I was on the phone with him from South Jersey, all the way up here, trying to talk him down this and that. And then I got to the house because is where my SWAT gear was at the time. And, you know, I told my wife, you know, to call out this and that. I got home, the coffee was ready, you know, grabbed my thermos, gave her a kiss, hugged my kids, said, okay, I see you guys later, boom. And I left, you know, and mm -hmm. it was going on, 10 and a half hour standoff, it was going on, on a, and a couple of the wives were actually texting or calling my wife saying, we hours into going into it, and they're like, you know, how, how are you so, like, calm? Like, you know, because my wife's like talking to him, you know, he's probably doing this, this, and then they're like, how are you so calm? You know, how, you know, like our husbands are out there and I was like, well, I've watched my husband walk out these doors like thousands of times hitting, hitting places and going after bad people. Um, he's pretty good at what he does. And she was kind of like, if the day comes, the cops come, you know, to say, you know, we regret to inform you. That's when I know, you know, he's not here with, with me anymore. And the point being, what I'm bringing up is that it's that, because again, we're this unique breed. Like we just do this stuff and we just do it. We serve the community. We, in every way, shape, form, you know, and we, you know, most of us that love this job, which most of us do, we do it. Um, like you said, you know, I never want to be out work. You don't want to be out work. That's how I operate as a cop. You're not going to outwork me no matter what. And I never had fear going into any place, you know, to do the job. So that as we, you know, t-shirts and the slogans say, you know, so people right, can right. sleep well at, at night. And I wish, I hope that as we push this, this good session out, you know, to the world and, and really just start getting traction. People say, listen, there are two cops, from, you know, that know, know each other for so many years, two friends, and we've met so many different ways and, and we're here, we're still connected. We don't have to be, you know, Ray Kelly from NYPD. We don't have to right. be LA commander. We're two simple cops from the state of New Jersey, but we've been everywhere. We've seen a lot of things and every cop in America um, by the time the career is done, they should have seen 
everything too, right? Um, and that's the thing, like the peer, the peer assistance, that's the mental health aspect. That's the last thing here. Um, you know, uh, the programs, like I said before, you know, the cops, the cops and this and that. Um, but there's someone I was just speaking to today. Um, her name is Jenna Rose uh, Romano and, um, she's a mental health coach and all that good stuff. And, you know, really ha happy to be chatting with her because I told her you and I were going to be talking and, we we're just talking about some of the issues that we just said here, like, you know, cops are doing their thing. And you said before, train, 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 but they should be training more, you know, cause our job is a hands-on job. You know, you know, we're primarily all of us, like, you know, whether it was your job, my job, you know, when you were a street cop, we're dealing with people on the phone with people, you know, investigations with people, face to face with people. And all of a sudden, like everything's good until that triggers pull or till, like you said, someone dies and, you know, or someone sees a dead body, you know, and someone from the officer is like, holy shit, they're all, their mind is messed up or something like that. Right. And, and we just want people to find the right help without, I think that's the biggest fear in law enforcement nowadays. I talk to cops is that if they want to talk to somebody, they're afraid they're going to lose their job just because they want to talk to somebody, you know, what's your, what's your take on that? Like, you know, whether it's a shooting or you know, like a PTSD, like they go to a homicide scene, a stabbing and an officer is like, I'm not, Hey, hey captain, you know, I'm not sleeping right. You know, I really need to talk to somebody and say, say you can't be there all the time. Like, did you ever sense the guys were just worried about losing their job? Yeah. And, the system? and, and what you do is you hope that unfortunately, you know, now again, agencies are reactive, right? Uh, career, uh, you know, professions are reactive. So we're moving towards this reaction, right. And we're going to train everybody and we're going to tell everybody and, you know, resiliency is a, is a buzzword, but you got to hope that you create a peer network, you know, amongst your people that people feel comfortable that they can talk to their side partner. They can talk to, you know, it doesn't have to be a boss. They can talk to somebody that somebody's going to recognize it and, you know, bring that where it needs to go without, you know, maybe risking the person's person's life. Cause sometimes it's just a conversation. And one of my, one of my, uh, one of my friends, um, she's running the program in the prosecutor's office now, the resiliency program. And, and, you know, she was built for it. She had her master's degree in social work. She was, she's really that person, but, you know, she's paying attention and she knew if I was running, you know, we were close, we worked narco together. And if I had, you know, four homicides in a week or, or a police shooting, two homicides, two, you know, unattended deaths, you, you know, your people are responding to a lot of, of deaths, you know, I'd get a phone call, hey, how you doing? Great, how are you? You know, like the, the banter that was us, and she'd know that I was all right, but she's like, you know, you could talk, right? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How's everybody else, you know? And after SEALs, um, you know, I put something together quick, and again, I, I was fortunate enough that I had good bosses that were receptive to, uh, you know, trusting me to say, listen, I'm going to bring cop to cop down here because nobody's experienced this. Joe was in our office for a while. One of our detectives was pinned down, you know, you know, one of the guys that worked for me was pinned down with ceasefire because they were out on a follow-up. So he was pinned down for, you know, for hours, you know, and, you know, it was real, you know, I was in the, I was in the command center with the, 
you know, the IA commander, the shooting response team commander, who's a friend of mine, and we're and this guy's a Marine. And, you know, we're sitting there and we're hearing shots. And, and you know, maybe the command, you know, again, we, we learn from, from uh, mistakes, right? But command centers may be a little closer than it should be. Maybe we should be another block away, right? Right. And you're you can hearing, see the way if you can if you can see the event you're too close we always said if you can see right. the event you're too close <laughs> and all the things we talk about all the things we train about self-deployment guys coming right. from all all around the state just showing up like well you know but you know they let me bring in cop to cop um you know i made a point opened it up to the organization anybody wants to come talk it was you know closed doors you know the guy one of the reps that was sent was one of my friends he was a a retired lieutenant from Ocean County Prosecutor's Office that was working for them. He's a military guy. You know, he had, he had seen a lot of things. He ran a task force. So I knew that somebody was going to be able to listen to, and it wasn't going to go past the room. So if they're going to cry, you know, cry in the room. The problem becomes there's still a stigmatism to therapy in law enforcement. It, it's the only place that where there really still is a, a stigmatism. Guys and girls think they're going to lose their job. If they're talking to a shrink, <laughs> you're in homicide five, six, seven years. Um, a busy Hudson's a pretty busy place. You know, say you average 30 murders a year. You went to, you know, the potential for a hundred scenes, you know, cause you put in all the unattended deaths and police shootings. That's a lot of death. You know, guys, guys should be talking to, you know, to somebody and not, inside and you and you see it and listen we we came up under the vietnam guys under the 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 libya guys these guys you know medicated in a bottle yeah. <laughs> you know they right. weren't going to talk to anybody you know right. so you you want to prevent as much of that as you can you know and I, I don't know what the answer is but i think peer good peer counseling and and good resiliency people throughout the department throughout the agency so maybe you know, there's somebody in uh, squad one, there's somebody for, for you guys, somebody in squad two, somebody in squad three that, you know, you can talk to. And then, you know, good bosses, good sergeants that are paying attention. That's what, a, you know, sergeants, a, a boots on the ground kind of guy. But like you touched on, the role of a sergeant is not to make all decisions of a, of a patrolman or, or a line detective. Make your own decisions. If you have a, something that you can't work out, I'm here for you. Now, you can move around. You can see, you know, your people. You engage with your people and you see who may be suffering and you address it on those levels. But it's all about engagement and paying attention to your people. Makes sense, man. I mean, that's uh, that, that's what it comes down to, right? Because And that's the, the thing is that we tell guys, uh, and that's uh, we're saying about the, the new leadership coming up in your place, you know, and stuff. And that was lastly on that was that I was talking to another rank and file as well. And um, they brought up a good point because a lot of officers, you know, from street cops all the way up to, you know, the, the you know, command structure to the top admin, people retired. Right. So now right. so many people left that now you're getting such younger faces, you know, especially on the, the local and the county police levels type stuff. And so now they're promoting way younger people to the next level which right that's they're saying that's kind of like that you might have a chief that's been in you know on the job like say 28 years you know and then also a lot of his men and women are boom skidded out 
So now they got to run a promotional process. Now you're promoting such young people that don't have, like you said, the Vietnam era, the Libya era, the Panama era, you know, uh, you know, the Af- even like with the Afghanistan era, like that whole mentality, sure. you, ha- you just have these young kids with book smarts and they're smart kids and very intelligent, but that leadership is going to take a lot longer to get up. So that's why I tell a lot of these young cats that are moving up in time that like, don't get twisted in, like you said about these social media networks where you get these, these groups with companies that are yelling about anti-admin, anti-admin, right. you know, anti-leadership. And I'm like, I'm reading these things. I'm like, so some of the dudes I know, I'm like one guy, I know he's a sergeant and, and then another guy who's going for sergeant. Right. And I'm like, Hey man, just be careful when you're posting that stuff. And he's now, cause people are watching. What are, what are you talking about? I fuck the lieutenant's fucked up or this one's fucked up. I'm like, I said, but you're a cop and you're your own leader and you're a sergeant. I said, why? Because it's, it's a lieutenant above that suck. I said, because you could be a sergeant that sucks and you could be a senior officer that sucks. I said, but one day you're going to possibly be in that position and then you're going to be seeing this stuff. And, and, and I said to him, I said, listen, when you came to our school, there are different schools. You know how I taught this stuff. Like, you know, you, you can't be bashing what's up there knowing that one day that's going to be you. If, if you're a smart cop, the smart cop, right? What the smart cop, he's going to help cultivate the young cop and say, hey, listen, sometimes we're going to have leadership that's it's not going to have everything right. I, I think most leadership is never going to have everything right, sure. you know, because it's just the nature of the beast. Like no one expects seals to get killed and then bullets to be flying and vans getting stopped, you know, by the tunnel and possible bombs and people pinned down. Like right. no one who right. trains for that, you know right. what I mean? Like, and it's, and, it, and, and it's zero to a hundred in oh. a snap and listen, it's culture. And what right. you're talking about is culture. Right. I, the first thing you got to do, and it's, oh, you're towing the company line. No, we got to stop crapping on the organization that we work for and start trying to be a part of that change that, that you want to see. Listen, at that point, if the organization does, if you've tried and the organization doesn't want to acknowledge you, you know, my, my favorite saying is, is, is something my grandmother used to say, you know, a broken clocks, right? Twice a day. You know, right. so so if you got an administration that's never going to listen to anything that, that you're going to talk about or, or you're going to say, then you start as an informal leader. And once once the organization, listen, go, you want to do, you want to know about um, an organization, you know, talk to the janitor, talk to the, you know, talk to your clerks, you know, that see right. everything. Talk to your secretaries, talk, talk to your frontline people. Don't talk to the captain. Don't talk to the lieutenant or whatever. Talk to the boots on the ground. Right. Well said, man. And, and that's what it comes down to. Like I said, it's, 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 a, it's a crazy business. Like, it's an eclectic business, right? It really it's, is. Uh, you know, and I, I think about, like, this is the, the characters that we are and the things that we've seen. Like, like you said, in time, like, people will never understand, like, the, the stuff that we've seen and how we could just walk away from it and just be desensitized to a lot of things. And they're like, you're, you're sick. And you, like you said, it's not about just, you know, some, some guys may take the bottle the old school to, to, to you know, wallow away, but some dudes are just be like, you know, yeah, I've seen that before. Um, but it wears on you, you know, like it, it as time goes on, like well, we, uh, a good captain friend here um, from my old department, it's like, it's called micro stress. I think every cop, will always go experience micro stress, no matter what you think. You could be walking out feeling like, oh, I'm feeling pretty good after vacation. 
but every cop's going to have some type of micro stress from, from the first brand new cop to the to the chief of police, chief of detectives, whatever. There's always right? there's always something, you know. That's where, like you said, the dog years, like where you know dog, you start aging, especially as you move <laughs> up in rank, you start aging real fast, and like you just yeah. try to hold it. And uh, but this is one job that uh, is so unique because we see just you never see the same thing twice in a sense of like the scenario. It's always going to be zero to hundred. You know, and um, you see the same, you'll see the same faces a million times, you know, in different aspects, you know, from a young kid to a shithead to, oh, look, I've become, you know, I've seen some shitheads that we've banged on doors and years later, they're like CEOs of companies or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you're like, holy shit, I used to kick in your door and knock your father up and, you know, put you in JV and now look at you. So like you said, the world, the world needs to hear more about what we're doing here. Um, so I appreciate you coming on because this was great. I do have um, one more question. I give a final sure. question. This is my new thing here. So see if I can lay this out right for you. you. You're about to leave this world knowing that, you know, you're an old man in a rocking chair and you know, like you woke up that day. It's okay. It's time. And all the things you've done, all the things you've seen from a young kid all the way to, you know, your, your entire cop life, you know, until what's going on in the world now. Um, so you have one time, one more time to give to the world a piece of advice and this advice you give the one thing you give the world that hears your words what advice would you give the world listening to something like this maybe one day it'll be somewhere that people are like holy shit this is wild what would you tell us tell the world family the whole night take a breath it's going to be okay you know like it. And, and and that's basically it. you know one of my favorite things and it's used in a lot of um you know SWAT teams and and whatnot in some iteration or others is uh fortune favors the bold fortune favors the brave take chances you know and and live your life just leave it all on leave it all on the field and and try to have as as little regrets looking back because the time ends in a in a split second right and you don't right you don't uh you don't your, your uh brinks truck's not following you to no no, <laughs> right, no. Right? definitely the, not the washington the brinks truck's not gonna take you anywhere right mm -hmm. um let me know if you could hear this this is one of the famous lines i think do you hear it do you hear this or no 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 okay it's a bruce lee um be water my friend right water right. can crash or it can flow Right. And I think you just kind of coined it, but just take a deep breath, just take a deep yep. breath. Right. And, and be that, you know, be that difference maker. Right. So I appreciate you coming on, man. This was some good stuff. Any last things you want to say? Or I'll say it's been, it's been my pleasure. And I look forward to getting together again. Uh, definitely, bro. Like I said, this was, uh, this was some good shit. So those listening in uh, spread the word, we're going to start spreading this one. This is the one of my favorite ones that I've done. Um, as I told, let's hold the group out here on my first podcast. It's been a while because people ask, how come you're not doing them anywhere? I started gaining traction and then we stopped. Well, it's because we got busy because retirement had me busy. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it just thing. gets you busy. So now it's like, you know, when you're traveling on the road and, you know, Indiana, Wisconsin, Florida, Rhode Island, you sit at a hotel, it's kind of hard to, uh, sit down and try to do a podcast, but this is one of the best ones, man. So I really, really appreciate you. So, uh, I appreciate what you're doing. Yeah, same here, man. And I said, we'll chat after this podcast and those listening in pass on the word, uh, real time experience, Captain Pat, the Carla retired. Good luck and everything you're doing out there, man. Appreciate you. 
Thanks, brother. All right, man.